Welcome to Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. Today I speak with Dave Jeskal, comedian and all-around funny man. Enjoy. podcast i figured it's <laughs> based on the surroundings well yeah kind of and the fact that there was no microphones <laughs> well this is the future i think it might be this is very convenient because you know even the, the ones i do at the comedy cellar i mean you have to talk into the microphone i mean this is just relaxing you can get you know a lot from a person of course. Just relaxing and pretending that it, nothing's really happening so tell me about that comedy cellar podcast oh well um it, it came out of COVID. We really? were doing, a, we were trying to do a, a, it was called the Comedy Cellar Nightly Show. And I used to host it every once in a while. This guy, Bobby Kelly, he's a comedian. He usually hosts it. But then when he couldn't make it, I would host it. And then we just kept doing it because we really liked doing it. And then we went into the studio. They have a really lovely studio over the Comedy Cellar. You know, nice place, nice chairs and setup. And it looks good you know, camera-ready stuff, because it's on YouTube, live on YouTube. Yeah. So we do it live every Tuesday at 6 o'clock. And sometimes I have good guests. Last week, this past Tuesday, I had an excellent guest, old-school guy I used to know from the 80s from doing comedy, and it was fantastic, because we were talking old-school comedy. Cause, uh, but then I also had somebody who's just starting in comedy the week before. Interesting. Because I like, I like getting the mix. So how long have you been doing comedy? How long have I been doing it or just... No, I'm just saying. Well, no, it's <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, make, I like to make fun. Stand no, up I, as a profession? Since 1983. Oh, as right? a profession? Never. Never. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Fair enough. No, I, I started in 1983. Uh-huh. And I just never liked stand-up comedy. Like the setup, the expectation? Yeah, I like comedy, but I don't like stand-up comedy. Interesting. And But stand-up comedy seemed the right thing. Everybody would say, you should do stand-up, you should do stand-up. And that was before everybody was doing stand-up. So I would go, I'm, the first time I was watching the David Letterman show, and he had the owner of this very small club in Brooklyn that would never be on today. He was the last guest. They would never have this crappy comedy owner on. You know, They, they couldn't get guests back then. And the guy goes, well, we got an open mic night uh, Wednesdays. You come down, you sign up, we'll put you on. So I went to Brooklyn. I live in New Jersey. I went to Brooklyn, and I wore a tie. <laughs> you know, like Seinfeld. You're right, right, right. And uh, and I went to the, I'll never forget, I went to the bartender and I said, I'm here for the open mic night. And he goes, go see the colored guy in the back. <laughs> wow. And that was the MC. That was the 80s. Yeah, yeah yes, it was. And um, that guy, the colored guy, turned out to be terrific. <laughs> Not that he wouldn't be, but he was sure, the MC. Sure. And we became friends. And then the next night he put me on at Dangerfields in Manhattan. It was very exciting, you know, early on. But then I was still in college. And then when I came out, I started doing it in the city, and that's when I met David Tell, Sarah Silverman, Jeff Ross, Louis C.K., John Stewart, and we just all kind of bonded together. Now those guys, you know, went to a different stratosphere because I just never really liked it that much. You know, they liked to do it every day. You don't like the craft. I liked it more as a hobby. 
So what are you, what, what is beyond a hobby for you? What do you like doing? Well, I a, always just wanted to be, I guess, like an actor, like a comic actor and, and write my own stuff and do, I always wanted to be on TV. That's all I've ever wanted. Really? Yeah. Not movies or anything, just like TV. I was obsessed with TV. I'm still obsessed with TV. And that's all I've ever wanted. As to a do. medium? Yeah. Not film? No. TV? I, I mean, I love movies, but I just didn't, I just wanted my own TV show. That's all I've ever wanted. You've written for TV shows. I have. I have. But you haven't had your own TV show. No. Which, I mean, what? It's coming, be, probably, right? Well, it has to be at this point. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much time left. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've written for... I've been on TV. I've been on other people's shows. Well, why do you like TV so much? I don't know. I just... I thought it was the greatest thing ever. As a child? Yeah, yeah. You were mesmerized? Mesmerized. I mean... When I was five, I was practicing to host my own show. And I'm not just talking about, like, I wanted to be on a sitcom, for sure. And I didn't care who it was. I was never even picturing myself as the lead. Yeah. I just wanted to be in one. I wanted to be in the background. <laughs> I didn't even care. Anything to just be on a set, in a show, figure out how it works. <laughs> like, I mean, even when I got older, I remember I was doing Sarah Silverman's show in California. And I remember watching the show first because I came on around, I don't know, maybe a later season. I'm like, wait, this is so cool being on the set of the show that I watch right. on TV. And I know nobody else cares, but I do. I don't know. It makes a big difference to me. I don't know why. I'm just fascinated by it. So are you still pursuing that? Not as much as I used to. It's, it's more difficult now, I guess. I mean, I've always had regular jobs to, to supplement, but then I've taken time off to just do stand-up. And then there's always been an issue like that brings me back to having to get a regular job. Like, like three times in my life, I'm, I've gone for stand-up. And the latest one was 2019. Uh -huh. And everything was going unbelievable. I quit my job at 20 years. Well, I got, I got fired. I got Me too That was a thing back in 2019. <laughs> okay. no, nobody cares. Um, but uh, apparently I was set up. Cause, uh, you were set up. I, that's what the people in HR told me that are my friends. And they were like, oh, she set you up, you know. Like wow, I, that sounds this, like a fascinating story. Oh, this girl, she was the receptionist. She goes, when are you going to take me out? When are you going to take me out? Every day I'd walk in, when are you going to take me out? I'm like, I don't know, Friday? And so we went out, outside the office, to a bar. Yeah. And we were having a good time. We got, I guess, a little drunk. Maybe I tried to kiss her because I, I, I thought that's what she wanted. Sure. And then she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like... I don't know. I, and she's like, oh, you're going to have to work a little harder to get a piece of this. Right, so right. there was no reason to believe it wasn't going to happen in the future, let alone she was like, I'll come over to your house. I'll cook for you. We'll get high. So there was no reason to believe. I, I didn't even know whether I liked her. I just thought that's what she wanted me to do. Because <laughs> I'm nervous enough as it is with right, girls right. even to this day. So then I remember we held hands and I walked her to the train station. And the next day... I was like, hey, it was a fun time last night, and she just wasn't talking to me. And then I got called in to the managing partner's office, and he's like, what happened between you two last night? I'm like, what are you talking about? And it was like outside the office and everything. And then they just fired me, because that was the climate. And I'd worked there 20 years. I'd been in lots of scuffles before. And they, where, I mean, was it, where was this job? Or what kind of job? It was a law firm. A law firm? Yeah, yeah. But I was like, you know, the manager and stuff of uh, my department. And, stuff. and she didn't work for my department. And, thing. and again, it happened outside the office. Wow. That's crazy. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, they fired me. Or my friend in HR told me, they're going to fire you anyway. So you should use everything you have 
that tell them so, you know, it's bad for her too. And I'm like, I understand what you're saying. So I told them that she was selling cocaine from behind her desk. A um, truth. Well, I had text saying, your cocaine is here. I have it behind my desk. So I put myself under the oh, bus too. That's violent. <laughs> it was totally worth it because she got fired and she didn't see it coming. So it makes me feel better than me wow. sleep at night because she's a horrible person, I guess. Although I can't deny that wouldn't it be great to have her here and find out some more information. Sure, sure. But everybody sure. says I shouldn't do that. And everybody told me, stay away from that girl. She's crazy. Even the managing partner came like, uh, you know, we don't mind because everybody thought she liked me, you know, because she just kept hanging around. Interesting. It, it's, and I am an old man in the sense of uh, I'll fall for it every time. I don't know yeah. if that's an old man. I'm just a, a, like a boy. I'll yeah, fall yeah. for a girl hitting on me every time and never think. I mean, I will think what's what's going uh, on of here. Of course. But I'll fall for it every How time. How old are you? 58. 58. And yeah. you, you feel like a boy? Yeah, like a little boy sometimes. <laughs> like in the sense of like I'll, I'll fall for that still. I mean, what's the matter with me? Sure, 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 you know? sure. And you've, have you tried to be a man? Well, you've done I'm a the man have, in certain have times. Have you gotten you know? married? And oh, no, I never got married. No, I can't. No divorce? Uh, no. No I, children? Actually, no, no. I asked this girl to marry me about two years ago, um, and then she died. <laughs> yeah, I remember you, you told me about how yeah. people just die around you. Oh, uh, four girlfriends have committed suicide, ex-girlfriends. Always one boyfriend removed. It's not my fault. One boyfriend removed. Yes. So, <laughs> so you have this uh, catastrophic gravitational energy. Is that right? I don't know. Is it a tragic life? No. No. You seem like mine? A, you seem like a happy person. No, it's hilarious. Yeah, no, it's funny. Shit is funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when that, when I it sounds like a TV show. It, that's what I'm saying. So you lived it. You lived. Well, a TV here's show. the funny thing: is that you know my life is really funny. It, everything about it is funny. Everything. I do is funny. The things that happen to me are funny, and people love it. I mean, that's why they like me at the Comedy Cellar, not because I'm a good comic, because the stories that other people tell about me are really funny. Like uh, Rachel Feinstein, who maybe you know we have, we'll have at your mm -hmm. club. Yeah, uh, she's terrific. You know, she just comes in telling all these stories about. She'll tell the stories of what happened at work, like when the HR director tried to kill me at the office Christmas party, or something like, like murder. That. Yeah, she choked me and broke a blood vessel in my eye. I irritate people you to do, that you do? point. You ask Hatem. Yeah. That's yeah. A, <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's had enough. That being, if people don't know Hatem. How do you irritate people? Is this something from a young, like as a young boy? It's you a were, gift, yeah. You have had this uh, gift? Yeah. yeah, I have an absolute gift. I don't know what it is. You can ask any teacher or boss ever since. I mean... They always would keep me at these jobs because even though I was annoying, I, I was a good worker. But, you know, some people find it funny and a lot of people don't. Right. And it's just stupid stuff. It's You're nothing ever. People. Yeah. Some people can't be teased. No. No. Yeah. So that's always been a problem. Interesting. Yeah. But it is funny. At one time... I went to VH1, if you remember yeah, the yeah, old yeah. VH1 from, you know, after MTV. Yeah, yeah. And I went to them with this television idea because I knew the guy who was in charge of development. And I go, oh, I got this idea for a show. I don't even remember what it was. But then I said, well, you know, what my friends want me to do is have a camera and follow me around on a day-to-day -day basis because, you know, my life is really funny. He goes, well, I would like that. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I mean, the guy finally said, we'd like to do a show like that. Yeah, I'm not interested in that. That's insane. I'm I'm insane. Are you feel that way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't. It's funny because 
even though all that stuff happened, I wouldn't want a camera around all the time. I could never be the Kardashians. I don't right, know how right, they right. do that. Like reality Can you imagine, TV. yeah, how intrusive that is? Like, we're just sitting up here and it's, you know, you're, you just said your, was it your girlfriend likes to sit up here and read. I mean, yeah. can you imagine if there was a camera on her all the time? No, no, I can't. No, I don't know how they do it. And for 20 years, they, the Kardashians, just talking about it as an example, I mean, their whole life has been, you know, just filmed everywhere they go. You know, sure, eating sure. breakfast. It's like that. This would be the worst day of my life. I like to, you know, I like to have, you know, makeup and uh, you know. Get so ready. your dream of a TV show is more like a sitcom. Absolutely. And is, and what's the best sitcom in your in your eyes? Or the some best of the one best. ever? Yeah. What do you probably like? the Larry Sanders show? The Larry Sanders. Did show. you know that one? I don't. It I've was heard of it. Gary Shandling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. It was the greatest thing I had ever seen. And I got, I was very lucky. I almost got on it. If I lived in California, I would have been on it. Yeah. But they didn't have any budget to fly. I said, I, I'd fly myself out. Because um, Gary and I became friendly through Sarah Silverman. Mm -hmm. And so I went to a couple of like the, you know, shoots and the tapings. And it was exciting, again, to see your favorite show. For me, I, I don't understand why more people don't get excited about that. What made it a great show? Uh, just the right everything about it. It was it was special. It was writing and it was about late night television, the behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So it was a behind the scenes and it was a show. So it was really interesting. And I cared about all those late night shows back then. And the late night shows were big after Johnny Carson left. Yeah, you know Letterman and Jay Leno and all those people. It was it, it was cool. It was behind the scenes, but it was so well written. Gary Shandling was so nice. He used to let me read some of the scripts in advance. And the dialogue is unbelievable. Let alone the casting was incredible. And there'd always be celebrities on it, too, playing themselves, but sometimes being dicks. Mm -hmm. like, even, like, they would have Elvis Costello on sometimes, and he would just be a dick. And I don't think he is in real life. Right, right, right. But that, you know, that kind of stuff always turns me on, you know? Because it's like about... it's it's. It was like reality, but not reality. It was a scripted right, reality right, right, show. Right. That so that's. I assume you out. don't care about any late night TV anymore. Not any. No, I couldn't care. No, it's awful. I can't watch it. Who does? Nobody I don't does. I don't Nobody understand. does. I don't understand. <laughs> I think because there's two problems with it. Number one, and first, is this okay? Is this what you wanted for the podcast? I'm just like, am I am yeah, I talking too much? No, no, that's about you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the first part is, if, if you're looking for an interview of a celebrity so many commercials and applause breaks, you can't really get anything out of who you're interviewing, right. number one. Number two, you don't need them anymore because with Instagram and social media, mm. you don't need to see what your celebrities, besides Tom Cruise, who might be the last movie star, everybody's out there. We know what they're doing. But back when The Tonight Show was the only show, we didn't know what was going on with John Travolta or Burt Reynolds or something. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Nobody, we needed to see them be themselves and talk. Oh, that's the way they talk? I mean, it was that simple. Now you don't need it anymore, and these shows are awful. Non-stop commercials, so at, at that hour I just watched Seinfeld reruns, like everybody does, or nothing. I, I don't understand how they're still on the air and how they make money. I don't know. I don't know I who's mean... watching. I don't know anyone who's watching. However, on the flip side of that, uh -huh. if they asked me to be on The Tonight Show, I would be so happy. <laughs> because it's a legend, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, the name. Yeah, you know. So I mean, the, who would it even be? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel? Jimmy Fallon. 
Jimmy no, Fallon. No, I don't care for Jimmy Kimmel. I don't like. We don't get along. Oh, okay. But uh, Jimmy Fallon is great, and I've actually been waiting to go because um, I got this great story I can tell you. Uh, Me or the... Well, the everybody's listening. Sure. Um, <laughs> I've been waiting. I haven't told it to anybody. Uh, if I ever get on that show, I'm going to go and be like, you don't remember me, do you? Because <laughs> that's the best way to open a conversation. Sure, it is, yeah. <laughs> He's like, no. And I'm like, oh. 1996, <laughs> Montreal. Uh, we used to, they have a, just for last festival, Montreal, like a comedy festival in Montreal every year for, for years. And he was nobody. He wasn't on site. He was just a comedian at Kimmel. the time. Uh, no, Fallon. Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Fallon. Okay. So you, see, you go to see a lot of people's shows, and he was performing and uh, he was bombing. I can imagine. I mean, yeah, he was just, I don't know what was happening. He always bombs. That's his charm. That's his charm. Yeah. But it wasn't charming this particular day. I don't know why. And I thought it was pretty funny, whatever he was doing. But yeah, he was bombing. And I was sitting next to his, or standing next to his manager, who's this really pretty girl. And that's why I think that's why I was standing there. So I always wanted to get to know her. But she was crying because he was bombing. <laughs> and I had to console her. And to say, no, it's going to be all right. This guy's a pro. He's like, a, you know, like a, I, I couldn't, she wasn't going to help me or do anything. But I was like, I had to console her because he was bombing so bad. And so she could go up and, and, and say like, oh, that was good, you know, or something like that. I helped him. If not for me, He'd they probably would have dumped him. Yeah. And he wouldn't have the Tonight Show. He'd be nothing. He should be really kissing my ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's something I like about him. I like him too. I mean, I think he's interesting. So at this point, you said you're 58. Yeah. You don't realistically. You don't think you're gonna get a TV show, or do you? No, I still do. I still oh, have good. hope. So you wake up in the morning. You're like, I'm trying to get that TV. show. I still have hope. I think everything could lead to that. I first of all, I love doing podcasts. She, okay. Cool. I love. I love like. I like. I would like to have a radio show. I mean, I just like. I could talk for three, four hours a day. I mean, I do it every day anyway. So is it correct in saying you started podcasting in 2019? No, no. I started before that. Okay. Maybe 2015 or so. 2019, I just I left this job, however, however forever that is, mm -hmm. and concentrated on comedy again. And I'm like, okay, this time it's going to work. But then I also started, you know, so and it was working. It was going great. I was also producing shows because I love um, using my friends and putting together shows, I usually host them, and then I'll, you know, I, I know the best comics in the country. Right. So I love putting shows together and using all my friends. And I was doing these two shows that were going to make more money in two days than I would at my job working for a month, and then COVID hit. It, March of 2020 was going to be the, the big, where, it's... oh my God, it's all coming together, and it all fell apart. Yeah. Well. But that's okay, I'm getting back. <laughs> so you're optimistic. You 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 wake up and you're driven. I go back and forth. Yeah. Um, many times I am optimistic, like everything's going to work out. I have a cup of coffee. I feel like everything's going to work out. Sure. But there's many times I also get very depressed, very depressed. Not that it's not going to work out. Just about everything. I've always been very depressed since I was a kid. Um, you know, like three times it's been like bad, mm -hmm. where I thought. Maybe I would like to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And one time, I remember, I guess it must have been in the 2000s. I guess it was Father's Day or something. I, I was really upset. My father and I didn't get along, but that's not the reason why. And I remember I 
I was drunk and I slept in the park, in Central Park, hoping somebody would do it for me because there's no way I'm going to do it by myself. That's yeah. a fascinating technique. Right? I'm like, yeah, I'll just, because that's what I did when I was 17. I would ride, I lived in Jersey, but I'd ride the subway up to the bad neighborhoods, walk around, and hope for that somebody's going to just beat me up or kill me. Wow. It, it's a strange way to do it. And, and nobody did anything. It was like, and so that night on the, on the park bench, I'm sleeping there all night, sleeping on the bench. And I woke up and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I still had my wallet. I'm like, this. What, what year was that? Like 2004. Wait. Okay. So five. it wasn't like 1980s New York or something. It was. Oh, well, the first time was 1980s New York. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And I, I, I couldn't get arrested. That's the joke. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was ridiculous. You think there's this, there's this stereotype that's kind of boring that comedians, they're depressed or dark. Or, oh, yeah. Oh no, think, that's not a. That's a fact. You think that's real? Oh, that's every. Comedian and then someone I know like Seinfeld seems to be outside of this, but everyone else seems. No, to Seinfeld's be. different. He's yeah. a mess in he's a, a different me- way. Interesting. He, I don't think he's depressed. He's just. He's not. He's weird. He's just weird. Uh-huh. I don't think he's depressed. He's just. He's. He's very angry, and and and. I don't, he's just different. He's Particular. Not, he's not fun or funny in person. Like there'd be no, you could see why I don't think he has any comedy friends, right, right, like, right. Or, and maybe you know besides Larry David and you know look of you know, that, right? But yeah, he's not, he's not a fun guy. Can you think of someone who seems different, who isn't in that dark place, often? Who isn't in the dark place, or who's yeah, yeah, depressed? Who's, who's a comedian? Could, you know, well, like, I mean, I know Sarah is Sarah Silverman is one of my best friends. Yeah, and she's. She also suffers from depression. Yeah. Now, when we're hanging out, I've never seen her depressed, but she's been on medication her whole life. It's in her play. That she yeah, had yeah. an off-Broadway musical, and um, she's been on you know, Zoloft or whatever it is since she's been little, so I think that helps. But for some reason, you know, all the comics... I mean, David Tell, I don't know if you know him. Yeah. I've known him since 1987, and he's always been depressed, but it's hilarious. You know? Right. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing funnier than his depression. <laughs> And he uses it on stage. Yeah, so it's like it's the best you legend. can do with what you got. Exactly. Exactly. You step yeah. back. Where if I've always been like a like a fun guy, or come across that way, and uh, but yeah, I, I do suffer from depression. But I think yeah. every one of my friends does. You know, it's a question I ask because I interview comedian, or this is the first comedian, but artists, artists musicians, writers, whatever. It's just interesting to see the differences. Because you're the most, some of the most extroverted, at least in theory. Not extroverted, but you're going out in public. There's a social element. You're on stage. Yeah, you're putting um, yourself out there. Yeah. Artists, you're holed up in a room. Musicians are somewhere in the middle because you can hide behind a persona. But comedians, at least people think that's their real person on stage in some ways, don't you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. You're absolutely right. But it's not true often. No, the funny, the thing is, if you're a good comedian, this is what I suffered from for a long time. I just did imitations, and I was good at them, and, you know, I got to a level that was okay. But I never put myself out there. I, didn't, I never talked about myself on stage, and everything, and that's what everybody says I need to do, because it would be funny. But for some reason, I just don't care. <laughs> I'll tell a stranger everything about myself, but I, when I'm on stage, I... I like to hide behind something. Yeah. Stupid stuff. I don't I don't know why. But the comics that you know that are huge talk about themselves 
and their you know their upbringing or their families and all the things they've been through on stage the good ones do that that's what you're supposed to do and i used to hide behind imitations of other people that's interesting and i'm just starting to try and give out some information i don't know why it's so tough because I'll tell the person I meet on the street stuff about myself, you know, like, right, right. oh, my God, I had so much diarrhea today. It was all, you know, I don't care. But uh, I don't know why it's so difficult for me to, I feel like, I don't know. I just, I like people and I like talking to them. But if I don't know the audience, I don't feel like I need to talk to them. I, it's, when you're talking about artists, see, I think I like, I want to do more quote artistry when it comes to comedy. I like doing more of a show. Yeah. I prefer some music and some theatrics to just straight comedy, and that's the way I've always been. You know, I've always tried to do more maybe a visual presentation, showing some stuff on the screen, and definitely having music in the background, or doing anything I could do to break up what I can't stand, which is just an hour of somebody talking, depending on who it is. It just bores the hell Does out of me. Does Steve Martin stand up back in the day? Do you like that? See, that's exactly the kind of stand up that I would like. Because yeah, he yeah, was yeah. doing totally different things. I mean, he was using props and stuff. I didn't want to do that. But yeah, the kind of stuff he was doing was much more like even the King Tut song, if you right. remember. I don't yeah, know. That's I do. way before your time and stuff. I read his bio. I like him in films. But he a lot. hated. He hated stand-up. I know. So he was like me. I just didn't make it to that level. Why do you think that is? Is that a... I think I didn't know the right people. I didn't put it... I mean, he. you know, once he... They kept asking him to do Saturday Night Live. I think living in California would have been helpful. Maybe You lived in... I I was always in New York City. But you said at some point you were in New Jersey. Oh, I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. So, you know, I moved here in the 80s, but um, to the city. But I think if I had moved out to California, maybe things would have been different. Maybe they would have understood me. Yeah, it was before the internet, so I guess you had to be where things were happening to more... And if you wanted to be on a TV show, that was the place to go. So why didn't you? Um, I've always lived in a 30-mile radius of where I've grown up, as I guess you have. Pretty uh, well. I lived, I lived in California for five years. Oh, you years. did too. Oh, I couldn't make the move. I don't know why. I guess I was afraid. Is that because you? It's a fear, or you? Yeah, it was total fear. Family, friends. You just wanted to be around them. It, no, I hate them all. But uh, no, but it, it was a. I don't hate. But it was a fear. It was a definite fear of moving somewhere else. I mean, it was funny. I just my plan was always to move to New York City. That was always the plan. I couldn't wait. Now I can't wait to leave. But. I, that's all I wanted to be. That's all I ever wanted to be. And when I would go out to California, and that's true to this day, it was so depressing for me in the sense like everybody was doing what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. And so when you're not doing it, it, it's just awful. And, and that's what happens to people out there. You know, you go, a lot of my friends, a lot of comics that I knew went out there and sometimes they went to a level and then they were never heard from again. Or sometimes they were just never heard from again. And... It just seemed like if I was never going to be heard from again, I'd rather live in New York City. Do you mean I'd in the sense not... they went upward? And some, you... some of them went upward, yeah. but never for a long period of time. Right. You know, maybe they had a couple of years or they got a show, and then they went right back down to earth. Okay. And then they chose a brief to stay moment. out there. Right, maybe a brief moment. So, I mean, the only person I know that, you know, well, no, there were a couple of people that hit it for a longer period of time or maybe still to this day but you know that's rare of course and it wasn't like i was worried about taking the chance it was more like i like 
being friends with all kinds of different people and out there it's only you know television and movies it's only people that do that profession and like you say you know you want to you like artists or writers and stuff. Maybe there's writers out there, but they're television writers, not yeah, like real writers. Specific. And so I know people that work in stocks, and I know people that do art, and I know people. I know people in every profession. I know, you know, just and and that I like that, and I feel like that that's the way to live. And when I, so I don't know whether you know, but I teach a class at Montclair State University. I think I might have told yeah, you. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So I just started. And, and it, what's the class? It was a class on the movie Clueless. Just Clueless. Well, it was mostly like, let's take a look at some romantic comedies that are much better written than you thought, than you than most romantic comedies. That's like, cool, yeah. So that and Notting Hill, are, these are uh, movies that I think are very well written. I'm friendly with the director and writer of Clueless, so I've spoken to her, so I thought I could tell some of the students you know, what she was thinking when she wrote certain things, and it was good. And the guy who wrote Notting Hill is this guy, Richard Curtis, and I've been following his work for years. And these are above par romantic comedies, and I thought that was good enough for a class. We did just watch Somewhere in Time. Oh, with Christopher Reeve. Yeah, very interesting. Well, that's what I'm doing this semester. I'm doing a time travel course. Right, that's what Manon was saying. Yes, so, yeah, Somewhere in Time is one of the ones we're going to talk about, because that's a fascinating one, because... It's a really interesting movie. It's not the best movie. The way he goes back in his mind is interesting. And he's a horrible actor. Yeah, I know. I mean the worst (laughs) actor I've ever seen. And yet, the interesting part about it is, I couldn't care less. Probably because he was Superman, whatever he was in and his bad acting, I'm on board. He's pretty... He's good to look at, and he's a nice guy, and that's all you heard. And and you can see him when he's acting. He's trying so hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for some reason, we just give him a pass. Like, look at him. He's trying his best, and he's not, you know, he's not, like, it's not uneasy on the eyes. You know, he's tall and strapping. It makes sense this woman would fall in love with him. Jane Seymour, who's gorgeous and stuff. She Um, is, yeah. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff I like to teach. How'd you get that gig? So... I have a friend who lives in Montclair, and he was like, you know, when I was looking for work during COVID, he's like, you know, they're looking for adjunct professors if you have an idea. And I, I knew right away, I'm like, well, I've been toying with teaching a class on Clueless. I've been talking to the people at NYU, and I don't know whether they're ready. And what about Clueless is the place you wanted to start? It was really, every time I'd watch Clueless, and let alone I got to interview the director and everything, and I'm friends with Paul Rudd and stuff, yeah. that all happened later. That movie, it's just, when I would watch it, I'm like, God, this is so well written. You know, it's just really well written, and it's interesting, and it's not like the other teen movies. And then, because then I showed the class Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is also by the same director. Oh, yeah? Amy Heckerling. Mm -hmm. And again, that's not a regular, it's not... Porky's, which is a movie I grew up yeah, on, which familiar. I hated. <laughs> and I remember the kids in my high school, and I was telling my students that they were like, oh my God, have you seen Porky's? And I remember being in the movie, I'm like, is there something wrong with me? Because I'm not finding this funny. Right. Yeah, this is awful. And I love, you know, shit that's stupid. Right, right. Like Naked Gun Naked or Airplane. Gun. Naked Gun is great. Right? But Porky sucks. <laughs> and then the students, it was they're like, should we watch Porky's Professor? And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> but yeah, this so this movie was above everything. And every time I'd watch it, I'm like, God, that's like 
the father would come and I, like the throwaway lines were good. They're like, "Dad, this is my friend Cher, or this is my friend Ty," and he's like, "Get out of my chair!" <laughs> and it, that, that, that's funny, you know. I'm just like, that's such a random line I wouldn't see coming, right, or something. And some of the lines that Dad has, where you know the kid comes over, and he goes, "Listen, kid." Anything happens to my daughter, I got a forty-five and a shovel. I doubt anyone would miss you. That's a really well-written comedy line. Right, right, right. And the, the movie, every line is full of them. I, I, I mean, I, I probably have multiple examples, but it's, it's, if you really take the time to look, it's like it's just really well-written. And I Are you interested in explaining why a joke is funny like that? Or breaking I love that doing that. You do? Absolutely. Because like one it. person who comes to mind that is unexplainable is Don Rickles. Right. Like, there is no... It's like absurdist. Yeah, and... But he made the, normal people laugh, which I find interesting. There can't... There can't be another Don Rickles in this climate. Oh, yeah, yeah, again. for sure. But also, he just... It doesn't make sense half the time. It's about feeling, like a no, feeling. It of, makes no sense. He's like, oh, look at the black guys laughing. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And you're like... And then the black guys were laughing, you know, because... Like, I don't know. There was something about him. I think everybody knew... He didn't feel that way. Like he, he was didn't a nice. Have any he seemed prejudice. like a nice person. He was not raised right. He was yeah. a very kind person, and I guess people got the gag. Right. And and like you were just saying before, you know, what's is this what he's like off stage? But he wasn't like that at all. He was a kind person. He was married all those years. He used to just go out to dinner with friends. He was a normal guy, but his gags were just insulting people. That was the like Jeff Ross. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, Jeff, yeah. The uh, he's one of my other friends. He's the Roastmaster General, and he is one of the sweetest, nicest people, but, you know, he lets people have it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great, and people love it. I mean, I saw him do it at Madison Square Garden. We were there with uh, Chappelle, and he was opening for Chappelle, and I was with him, because I've known Chappelle for years, too. And he's there at Madison Square Garden, and he says, Does, who wants to come up on stage and get roast? I mean, who does that at Madison Square Garden? How many, who wants to come up on stage? He's like, raise your hand. <laughs> and they had 10 to 20 people come up on stage at Madison Square, Square Garden, and he roasts them. I, I mean, yes, is there a couple that he uses all the time? But no, a lot of it comes right from his head. It's unbelievable. One time he had some a fat uh, black guy, and he said, uh, look, it's uh, Martin Luther Burger King. <laughs> and he just came up that night. He'd never said that before. It's a, it's a true gift. That's something wow. I could never do. It's fascinating watching him work. When you look around at your comic friends, comedian friends, are there archetypes, different types of comedians you see? Oh, yeah. And that's what the best part is. Is those guys? I like I like all different types. I like sometimes the intellectual types, you know, like a Lewis Black. I don't know if you know yeah, who yeah. he is. Yeah. And it's funny because David Tell and Lewis and Mitch Hedberg right. went on a tour together in the David early two thousands. The really? three of them, yeah, and the three of them are nothing alike, which was great. But yeah, sometimes you like the. I used to like uh, this guy David Feldman, who you probably don't know, I don't, but I liked his his intellectual comedy. And then, of course, I like this this guy who you don't know, called the legendary Wid. He's the greatest prop comic I've ever seen in my life. I'm pretty sure Caratop stole his act. But this guy, he's out of Philadelphia. I actually hired him for my birthday a few years ago, maybe seven years ago, because we all used to open for him in the 90s. So there's a bunch of us that are older that remember opening for him, like David Tell, Jim Norton, Keith Robinson, if you know any of those guys. 
And so we always liked him because somebody has to be the prop comic, you know? Like, we don't want to do it. But this guy has 10 garbage cans full of props. And and he just has them all lying on the floor. And he just picks up stuff and does it. I mean, just, it's a horrible example, but he would have a dry cleaning bag and a hanger. And he goes, this is all I had to play with as a kid. And I played with it till I was blue in the face. I mean, it's just (laughs) stupid. (laughs) And yet, it would make me cry laughing. And so I hired him for my birthday, and I had, and it was at the Comedy Cellar. I closed it down, and I was gonna have Dave Attell open for the win. That was the gag. <laughs> I thought that'd be the point. And Attell was like, "I'll I'll pay half the win too, because he wanted to see him too." So they're like, "Well, you should open it up to the public." And I'm like, "All right." So I charged five dollars for people to come in. This amazing show it was me, Dave, Artie, Artie Lang, yep. uh, the Wid, and a, a couple other people that were amazing. And I opened it up. And people hated the legendary wit. They were ang- <laughs> half the audience just didn't understand. And then I heard later, like three months later, I was at a, a tailgate for the Giants game. Yeah. <laughs> and this kid, Lenny Marcus, came over and he goes, "Oh yeah, we were talking about it. I'm like yeah, they got a lot of complaints." I'm like, "They did?" And like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "I didn't hear about that." They're like, "Well, they didn't want to hurt your feelings." <laughs> it's like wow, because <laughs> you know it took him 20 minutes or a half hour to actually get his props off the stage. Oh, wow. So the next couldn't couldn't come in. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm telling you, if you look him up online, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you look him up on YouTube and you tell me that's not funny, then then we don't know funny. I mean, I watched early Carrot Top recently and some of it's good. Right. Exactly. Carrot Top, once in a while, is what you need. Yeah. And then there's people like Dave Attell, who is the best comic in the country. And there's people like Sarah, who just brings some, not, she doesn't bring her politics into her stand-up, mm. you know, because a lot of people don't go to see her because they think she's going to be political, but she doesn't do that, which is very smart. Yeah. So she has her regular persona and then her stand-up persona. So then, what besides that, you have the intellectual, the prop comic. Yeah. I'm just curious. Then there's just people like who rattle off jokes like Attell, or there's people that talk about themselves, like maybe well, like Chappelle, who, who gives you the, you know, his take on social situations or news or whatever which is is a little cross between intellectual and yeah. himself and uh, there's so many different kinds of comics so i like i like them all like i like i like different kinds but they got to be really good for me to sit through an hour many times i will go outside this area and watch cuz when you're in the city you only do 20 minute sets so many times I will go see somebody I like and a friend and watch them do a full 45 minutes to an hour. Because I really like that, because they don't get to see it rarely. There's this girl, Jessica Curson. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She's terrific, and I told her I'd like to go see her do an hour. She does this, you know, she's like a Jewish lesbian, and um, I've known her for years. And she does this thing where she's, she plays this like insecure person so when she's talking to the audience she'll turn around and whisper into the mic and you can hear her thoughts and she's like they're not laughing I don't know what's happening here. I can't figure it out what's going on you know like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's really funny and you know I could watch an hour of her you know and I trust her and I know she's really talented but there's some people if I get a you know nowadays people I've, kids who are just starting like oh yeah I'm taping my half hour and I'm like oh are you oh god that's gonna be fun you know, they're not ready to do a half hour taped, but it's like that's the the whole place is saturated between Netflix and sure. all that kind of stuff where that's what they see their heroes doing. 
So they decide this is a good plan, but they're not ready. Have you done a special? No, no. Do you want to? I, no, probably not. Like, for instance, yeah. I opened for Jim Gaffigan during COVID. Yeah. And we were at these, like, you know, 4,000 people at arenas, like stadiums. But everybody was in their car. So we were in the parking lot. The audience was all in their cars. They weren't allowed to get out. It was COVID. So I, people Horrible. say the reason. Gaffigan, well, the people were like, why do you hire Dave Juskow? You know, and they're like, oh, because he's really good at just continuing to talk and he doesn't seem to wait for laughs and it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I was the perfect person to use. Wait for laughs, interesting. Well, right. There are no laughs. There were no laughs. People could blink their uh, lights. They could flash their lights. They couldn't even haunt the horns. That's dystopian. And so, yeah, it's really difficult to Were do. you in a bubble or you were on the stage? I was on the stage with fourth. Looking there at were cars. There were a thousand cars and four people to a car. So there were 4,000 people. I'm just looking out. I don't even know. I couldn't even see if people were in their cars except for the people maybe in the front. They, some of the people might have been sitting on their cars, but most of them had to be in their cars. And they, it went so far back you couldn't see the end of the cars. And they had, it was on their radio, like a driving, old driving yeah, yeah. movie. They had to listen to it on the radio. And they had some big screens. And the funny thing was the first time I did it, um, I was just driving my friend Marina down. He's like, oh, Dave, you should do it too. So I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. He's like, can you do 10 minutes? And I'm like, yeah. So I got there and then his manager goes, Dave, can you do 15? And I'm like, I'm already stretching seven into 10. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't have, you know, I'm It's horrible. not your thing, stand up. It is not my thing. But I'm. But where would you fit in in these archetypes? I don't fit in. I think that's the problem. But the thing is I had, the way I always put it is I, you know, my friends like they always thought I was good. I, you know, I could make people laugh because I'm, I'm funnier off stage. <laughs> so are you funnier on a podcast than? than oh, I'm definitely stage. podcasts are perfect for me. Yeah, I find most comedians funnier on a podcast. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's hard when you want, when they're expecting you to laugh. They're setting you up. It's tough. If you're a suspicious person, it's it doesn't always work. It's very yeah. rare that I can fully enter into a comedy act on stage. Oh, yeah, exactly. I feel the same way, depending on who it is. Sometimes sometimes you laugh at people because you know they're going to be good, maybe. Sure, you preemptive. Know, and then you give them a chance or something. But, yeah, for me, I mean, I had one really terrific set in 1996 that's on that was on television. And I think that's why I got a decent reputation. Um, you were visited by just, the gods that day? Yeah, I just live off that one set. Can that be found online? No. No, but I, I guess someday they'll... You should they'll, put that up. It was on Caroline's, um, the TV show, and they were putting them on. I don't know what happened. Um, you know, Caroline's just closed, so maybe she'll relook at the TV show and put it back on. And you don't know what happened that day? You were just struck by... Well, it, it is weird because the set never worked anywhere else. It was a very specific set. Remember, we were talking about artistry, right? Yeah. So I, did, I took a chance. And when I was practicing it, it didn't work and this one day on tv it finally worked and it was like i opened doing a couple of imitations but the it was a like a five minute long bit it was a risk and i think that's why the other comics that i know appreciated it because it was it was gutsy and it was all about going to chef school and it was a bit about going to chef school and i combined it with a couple of movies like a few good men and officer and a gentleman and, you know, it's just like, what about the soup? And the, the tough chef guy was like, you can't handle the soup! You know, that kind of stuff. But it was a five-minute 
either all in or nothing bit. And right, it, you can't get out. No, once you're in. no, you can't, especially since it was on television. So why did you use something that had failed before on on national TV? I, well, I think I made it for television. Like I okay. made it to. I knew I was auditioning for television, and I wanted to do something different. And that's what we were talking about. This is what the, the podcast is, right? Artistry, right? Yeah. I'm like, I want to do something different and special and, and something that's not straight stand-up. I want to do more. And that's why I've never been able to make it. I just, straight stand-up doesn't work for me. I don't like it. It doesn't So why do you go on. back to it just to stay it's more like, in practice? It's a good question. I think it's more like all my friends are stand-ups. I mean, right. obviously I have other friends from other things, but... It's a good social hang. And the reason I go back to it also is because many times when I decide I'm I'm done, I'll get a call. I'll get a call from somebody's manager like, hey, they need you, Jeff needs you to open for him, uh, you know, in Ireland. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing comedy anymore. Well, you better get ready. And they won't take no for an answer. So what do you do in that instance? You have notes? Are you a note taker? You mean like when I am going back to it? Yeah, like let's say you got an emergency. You don't have material. I don't have material. I do the best I can. I'm like, let me look at my book from the 80s and see what I So you have a book. Oh, I definitely have a book that, you know, I've had for years that has, you know, probably math in it too and stuff like that from high school. I mean, I, I still always try and come up with stuff. Like I'm opening for, you know, Rachel at this club. So I opened for Rachel Feinstein a lot. We were up in Boston and I do, um, you know, I, I open for my friends and that's a good job for me. I like to host yeah, yeah. and I like to open, but I can't see myself as like a headliner. I don't think I have that much to say. Right. <laughs> and I don't want to say that much. Plus, I'm fascinated by those people that can do it, that do two or three shows a night that they don't lose their voice or their momentum. That's, that's it, it doesn't seem like it's hard work, but it's ridiculously hard work. Of course. No, yeah. I'm trying to highlight process there. Like, yeah. I'm assuming comedians all have different processes. Oh, most of the comics that I know have a process where they, they write all day. They sit they down. They wake up and they're disciplined. And like, I'm writing for an hour today or two hours. I don't have that process. I, it, for me, it either comes to me and I'll, I'll write it down and then I guess if there's a gig, maybe I'll try it. I'm bad at coming up with punchlines. Nobody should follow my process. But the comics that I know that are the best all sit and write really? and, and go over it and try it out and perfect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> so besides this one set that you speak of, yeah. are there other... I don't know if you consider it a major achievement, but when you look back on your life, like what are the, the the peaks in terms of your artistic achievement? Would you say? Well, I mean, I mean that was a, a good one, but I mean artistically, there's just I made a movie, but it's not an artistic achievement. Uh, but it was an achievement. If you read the reviews on Amazon, what's that called? Uh, it's called Turbocharge. Turbocharge. <laughs> yes, and it is a movie about the Cars, the band. Oh, that's the a great cars. band. Yeah. yeah. They were a great band, and uh, I always loved them, and I had this plan for years that I was going to tell the story of the Cars, because I knew no one else would, that they their music was amazing, but they were horrible live. Oh, is that, is that part of it? Horrible performers live. That's... Like, the music was good, but they never moved on stage. And the reason why I thought of it was because years ago, I was watching Live Aid, 1985, uh-huh. when they... Uh, when they 
It's like Bono or something? Yeah, no, like... it was uh, Bob Geldof put together Live Aid, and they had every, the hottest musicians of 1985, and they had one, all live, one summer day in London and Philadelphia. And they kept going back and forth between both things. And Phil Collins took the Concord uh, yes. from London to Philadelphia to play both shows. It was like the biggest deal. And I was so into the cars back then for whatever reason. I was just waiting for the cars. The cars finally come on. And all they do is cut to Phil Collins' plane landing at JFK Airport. So the cars <laughs> are in like a small box on the right-hand side. And I'm like, well, I'm going to make a movie about that someday because it's funny. So I did, and it's like the worst movie ever. And if you look at the reviews on Amazon, people are so angry because they think it's an actual movie about the cars. But it is. It's historically correct. But I play Rick Ocasek, really? and I get fatter as the movie goes on, which was an accident. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> How long is this movie? I don't understand. It's like 84 minutes. It's a f That's a feature-length film. Yeah, it's a feature-length film. <laughs> how, how long did it take? Uh, like, a, like a summer. So it was like a... It was we did it on weekends, you know. Okay. And nobody got paid except in food and transportation. And did the cars ever reach out? We had heard... Oh, yes. Uh, the guitarist, uh, Elliot Easton, his brother came to the screening and he walked out. He was furious. But we've heard he's like that. But a lot of the... it's You know, it's exactly like my comedy, really. it's it, it, Some people got it. And they were like, this is hilarious. If you're high, this is a great movie. Nobody would say it's a great movie. They were like, we get the joke. And then the other people are just angry. And you can read those reviews. That so it's a joke that potentially should have been a shorter delivery? Well, the fun was making it a, a feature length. Could just I dragging drag it, it out? out? Yeah. And it's got like comics, and you know, um, Kevin Brandon and Dave Attell and... Um, Tom Shalhoub, I don't know if you know him and stuff. And but I, you know, it's all this information that I had in my head about the cars that I didn't even need to look up, that for some reason I knew. But it's all just that they, they stink in concert, and their big thing is going to be Live Aid. They're like, all right, now we're going to show them. They take dance lessons. Like, okay, we're <laughs> going to show everybody that we know how to rock right. and move, right, right, and feed the homeless. And then the Phil Collins things happen. And we set it up beforehand that Phil Collins fucks with them early on. <laughs> and then, you know, he sounds good. Back. But sounds good. <laughs> In theory. We couldn't use any of their music, so I wrote my own car song. And it came out pretty good. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. All right, so you made a movie? Yeah. What else? I don't You, you know, wrote for TV, you right? It. Yeah, I used to write for TV. I've been on TV. I was on. Uh, I, used, I had my own cooking show for a while on the Food Network. Really? But it only lasted like two or three episodes. And I think they what was that I called? couldn't cook. Um, you need to cook for a cooking show? Yeah, apparently. Uh, they, uh, it was called um, Cooks Like Us. It was taken from Spies Like Us. Right, right. It was a bad right. title anyway. That's a good movie. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It seemed like... So, a, you're like referencing good movies. I, that's good bands, my, good movies. I'm, that's, look what I'm teaching. You know yeah, what I'm yeah. I mean, that's my, I love movies and, and TV, and I love talking about them. And I can talk about them for days and hours. I mean, you have a podcast also about Billy Joel? Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I got to listen to that. Well, I wouldn't recommend listening to it. What's it, it called? <laughs> it's called Billy Joel A to Z. And we went, we go through, it's still going, we go through every song alphabetically. Every song, there's 121, but we also add in the unreleased songs, and then we do album wrap-ups, and we have a guest after every letter. Um, was you know, all the comics we know that like Billy Joel, Gary Goldman, I don't know if you know him, he came on. And then he took me to the concert because they have the same manager. 
and uh, it, it's fun. And and it's with my friend Alan Altman, who's also a comic. Uh, you'll probably meet him because he might do the show here. Sure. And he's really sweet. And uh, so it's it's a funny podcast. We we don't just sit there talking about. Well, I thought the uh, chord progression here was uh, really, you know we just we make I make fun of him a lot. Billy Joel, I'm like he's so lazy and he just wants to eat. And uh, you know we heard stories um, from this guy Scott Ackerman. Yeah, yeah, uh, Scott. Ackerman. You know from. Uh, uh, Comedy Bang, Bang Bang, yeah. Right, so we had him, I've known him for years, so we had him on as a guest, and he told us the story that his, uh, the guy he does his podcast with went out to dinner with Billy Joel, because him and Paul Rudd actually had, they redid the Bosom Buddies opening, have you ever seen that? No. They redid this opening, and, and Billy Joel, it's my life is the theme. So Billy Joel's there, and they got him, and they're like, no, you, you, you're playing it, you're not playing it, because... Somebody dubbed over Billy Joel's voice in the TV show. So they're like, you're not playing it like that other guy. And he's like, well, let me see if I can get it like the other guy. You know, like, I mean, it's, it's a joke. Right, right, and then right. they told us they went out to dinners with him, dinner with him, and he, he had his own clams in his pocket, and he gave them to the chef and said, eat these up. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> right? It's awesome and hilarious. And <laughs> yeah, that's the coolest. So that's all we ever talk about is his, you know, he has his own clams <laughs> he carries around. And that he's just lazy That's and he so doesn't cool. want to write any more music and he helicopters into MSG and, you know, we just kind of have fun. We talked to his drummer, uh, which was great, and, uh, you know, we're hoping to get him on as the last guest when we get to Zanzibar. That'd be great. Yeah. So it seems like you like these kind of, I don't know if it's accurate, but low pressure projects like less of have you ever done a thing that's super high pressure long term like five years invested oh. 10 years no i guess not yeah that's a does good that, point does that not appeal to you no it totally appeals to me i would love something like that but i guess i don't know maybe i've cracked under the pressure multiple times i don't Have know you? I, I, well the cooking show wasn't great i guess but <laughs> during the 90s when things were going well you know i had a lot of audition i got so close to getting so many things i was supposed to be the it was between me and the guy that got the part from bosom buddies ironically i was supposed to be the dad in the tv show of honey i shrunk the kids in the tv show yeah which is even funny that i was going to be the dad back then and i was like 34. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know the TV show. I mean, Nobody Rick, does. Rick Moranis is the... Right, but so Peter Scolari from Bosom Buddies was the dad in the TV show. And there was a whole bunch of stuff I was supposed to... I, mean, I got so close, you know, but that, that's everybody's story. But it was exciting, you know, and I, I just... I think if I had just auditioned more, some things would have worked out, but, um, I, you know, when you don't get something after a while, they just kind of forget. You know, right. It's, it's, close but it just but does it even appeal to you like is it about having fun and less about these kind of well it's definitely about having fun like i'm on that show tv funhouse uh with bob smigel used to do um on saturday night yeah Live. Yeah, yeah but then is there was an actual ambiguously TV show. gay duo yeah, yeah yeah that's right do they still do that and there's no way they do no that. no no but uh but <laughs> that was, that was but comedy central picked up the tv show and i used to work on that and you know i did a couple of the voices because smigel's been really nice to me this guy who invented right. the show so sometimes you know those kind of people like i auditioned for the dana carvey show he had a show and it's funny you know smigel bought me in and louis ck bought me in and my friend dino who actually you look a lot like dino stamatopoulos uh, Sounds like I might look like him. <laughs> well, he's a really cool guy. And they always, 
you know, call me in, which is really nice. And so I, I remember auditioning for that show and doing the imitations that they asked me to do. And I could tell Dana Carvey just did not dig me. I mean, I could just see it. I didn't know he had a show. Exactly. So it's well, like there's, there's so many of these. The Ben Stiller show. Right. But everybody knew about that one because it won an Emmy. Did it? Yeah. I mean, there's some good It was good, very popular. It didn't last stuff. very long. It was short. But everybody on it did well. Andy Dick, Ginny Garofalo, yep. him. I can't remember who the other guy was. But yeah. So some of the shows, even if they're short run, but right, nobody knew about the Dana Bell. The, it was called the the Taco, the Dana Carvey Taco Bell Hour. They thought that would be funny using an old-fashioned sponsor from like the 50s or some, the way they used to do it, like oh. the Texaco Milton Burl Hour. That's, is that recent? No, this was in the 90s. Oh, okay. It lasted about five episodes, maybe seven. I guess, It was after he left Saturday Night Live, I guess. So, You know, I asked because a lot of, I mean... Even in my brief experience of making longer projects, it definitely becomes less fun. Yeah. It's like the labor of love. It's about discipline. It's less spontaneous. And I think for some people, especially in uh, this era, it's not always necessary to do gestures like that. The, sh the attention span is so short of the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. That more and more yeah. people can make a podcast in 90 minutes or... TikTok. I, I doubt you fuck with TikTok and all these I'm trying. Things. I just did it before I came here. I worked on a short film with um, this guy, Joe List. I don't know if you know him. And Joe DeRosa. Uh, and uh, I guess it's going to just be on TikTok. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is for it. But, you know, when somebody asks me to do something, I'm always up for doing it because you never know. That's cool. You know, it's going to have this guy, Matt Salakus. He's um, really good at making... He, he, he's really good at being professional in fact tomorrow um do you know mark norman you ever yeah he's him? great so he's got a netflix special coming up so they want me to be in the cold open which is him at a at a diner ordering his jokes off the menu like he'll, it'll be on the menu on the waiter or what is a cold open um it's and it's it's interesting because since we were kids or i was a kid when somebody did a tv special the before they come on stage and say, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Norman, there's usually a sketch. Right. And they call that the cold open. Uh, and people have shied away from that now, but that's my favorite part. Like, if I was ever going to do a special, I would totally have the open. Like, uh, Sarah Silverman just did her special. It just came out on HBO. And you see she has an opening where she has fake kids wishing her good luck, you know, which is really funny. So it was, like, always a, a 30-second to one-minute sketch before the person comes out and that was always my favorite part so what mark norman's going to do is i'm a waiter and going off the menu of his jokes and trying to pick some or something and then i spill soup in his uh, nuts because it's called soup to nuts so i am hoping to be billed as clumsy waiter number one that would be cool <laughs> but, so you've always got interesting yeah. opportunities and projects it sounds yeah like. yeah usually like i said i usually just get calls from people uh, if, you know, if I, they see me around or they from other people and stuff, I, I always get a call. Every time I think everything is lost, there's always a call. a call eventually. Um, for instance, great example. Um, it's coming out in January. Uh, I got a call from Sarah Silverman's manager, and she the, she's doing a new show called Stupid Pet Tricks which is based on the old Letterman thing for TBS. And they're like, we need you to do some voices for it. And it's coming out in January. I already did it. And I play the... And it's... Um, she's in a... right. And this is my favorite thing. This is what TV Funhouse was. The writer's room is all animals. <laughs> so it's all real animals. 
but we do the voices, so they talk. Okay. So I'm the head writer dog. <laughs> you know, Have you done voiceovers for? Yeah, yeah, I've done a lot of voiceovers. I've been on Scooby Doo. Um, oh, you got a good Scooby Doo voice. <laughs> well, I actually played Rodney Dangerfield in it, like, but not Rodney Dangerfield, a guy doing a Rodney Dangerfield voice. Interesting. Um, I used to be on this show called Doctor Cats. Yeah, that's an interesting show. Yeah. Um, so well, there's a, a, a you know a story that uh, the Doctor Cats people was great. It was great to be. It was an honor to be on that. Because it was really fun. All the comics were on it. And I was always on the fringe, you know. So I was really happy that they liked me and I got to do some imitations or something on it and play myself. And they decided to do another show called Giving Harry the Business with John Benjamin, who's in yeah. Bob's Burgers and Archer. Yeah. And the, my Cars movie. Home Movies. <laughs> yes. Right? You remember Home Movies. Wow, the same people, right. It's the best. It's one of the best. Perfect. So these yeah. same people... We're trying to do another show like Home Movies, and they, it was going to be on ABC, and it was done with Spielberg. S yes, Steven Spielberg, not that joke like, Steven Spielberg? No, uh, Sid Steve Spielberg, he's like a <laughs> distant relative. <laughs> uh, but no, the Steven Spielberg and Jeffrey Katzenberg asked the guys that did Home Movies, can you come up with something for ABC primetime? And they were going to do this thing where John Benjamin plays a talent agent. And every week, I was going to pitch my one-man show. And it was going to be great, you know, like just whatever it was going to be. Like, <laughs> I ran out of ideas by the third episode. <laughs> it's like uh, Gene Hackman, one man Joe, and I was just doing a horrible Gene Hackman, but just doing his movies. Uh, you might remember me from Star uh, Superman Four: The Quest for Peace, The Package, <laughs> Unforgiven. What <laughs> it was, it was awful. But that it didn't matter. So it was just fun. So, I mean, this was the one. I got the call one time. I was sitting at home, feeling sorry for myself, and they're like. Hey, Dave, it's um, Tom Snyder from Dr. Katz. He was the guy that ran, not the Tom Snyder, the old talk show host. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, um, would you be interested in being in this show? With We're working with Steven Spielberg. We're about to go into a meeting with Steven Spielberg and Jeffrey Katzenberg. And we have an idea for you, and we want to make sure you're involved before we pitch it. And I'm like, is this some sort of gag? Right, right. What, 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 what am I going to say? I don't know. When is that going to shoot? Is that in the winter? Because that's not good for me. I mean, it was. Re I'm like, uh, yeah, it sounds good. And then you want to be professional? Yes. Um, okay, sure. That sounds, you know, you're trying to maintain it. I hang right, up the right. phone. I'm like, bah. So I'm like, this is a go. I mean, they're working with Spielberg. How is this not going to be a go? And, and it was. And so they're like, ABC's like, yeah, we like it. Let's do it. Let's do it. We want um, 12 episodes. And Spielberg's like, no, no, no. We only do it for 24 episodes. And they're like, well, we just want 12 for starters. No, no. 24 or we walk. And they wouldn't budge. And they walked. And that was that. And that would have been the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Ever. Because every day, every episode, my name would have been on. They changed my name to Jeff Juskow because Dave Cross was Dave. So, But I didn't care. Still, I was on it. It was going to be my voice. It was going to be a person that looked like me. Right. And, I mean, it would have been great. And I would have been on ABC, prime time, 8.30 on Thursday nights. And but Spielberg wouldn't We're budge. still angry at Spielberg. I've talked to Tom Snyder, and he's like, I'm still angry. I'm still in court with him. Because he wouldn't give the rights back. <laughs> he was a dick. <laughs> oh, but wait, I found out more information just recently. So this was, what, 20, 30 years ago. About three weeks ago, I just found out new information of why that might not have happened. Jonathan Katz, who was Dr. Katz, <laughs> I guess he's got a sense of humor like I do, and Spielberg didn't care for it. So when they were in the meeting, he's like, you know, um, I saw Schindler's List, and if I could be honest with you, I only laughed like three times. <laughs> and Spielberg's like, what? He did that in the meeting? 
<laughs> I don't know whether he did it in the meeting or before they went to the meeting and they were just with Spielberg. And then, and then I think he said something about Amistad. <laughs> he goes, I, gotta, I saw Amistad. I didn't get it. <laughs> and she was doing all these gags, which are so funny. So, so everyone in it. our community, but Spielberg didn't find it funny, so that could be. Does that make you feel better that a joke ruined it instead of? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> but I mean, what's if I was in that meeting, I would have been laughing hysterically, and then Spielberg would have hated me too, probably. But tell me, that's not hilarious. I mean, it's just. I mean, that's really funny to tell Spielberg in front of him. I only laughed three times, if I can be honest with you. At the... Well, at least you seem to have a good... Uh... I don't know if it's because it's distant, but you don't seem bitter about all these opportunities that almost keep hitting. I I guess, yeah, you're probably right. Maybe I used to... Yeah, you're probably right. I guess time has passed, so it's different. I mean, I wasn't bitter. I always... I mean, I was sad, really sad. There's, you know, now that you're mentioning it, there were so many. I guess I'm just not thinking of them. I had a job where I was going to be the head writer of this game show on MTV, and then for some reason that didn't work out and and you know i had all these things and and i remember uh i used to do a show oh that's right i was doing a show at this comedy club called catch a rising star called the loft and it was great every tuesday night it was a live show see again not total comedy like a show within a show like the larry sanders show in a way so it was my apartment this catch a rising star had a kind of an outlay like like your apartment, like it looked like an apartment. So it was my apartment and I would always have regulars, like a girlfriend and, you know, my manager. And then we'd have guests come in, stand-ups, and they'd do time. And I would leave the stage and they'd do time. But they, they're basically coming to my apartment. Hmm. And then MTV stole the show from me and just changed the name to Apartment 2B. And they totally stole the show. And, and that, that show exists? Apartment well, 2B? Well, it did for a little bit. In fact, in was fact... It, was it terrible? Well, to me it was. Um, they used the Sklar Brothers, who I hate, and everybody knows that, so I don't care. Um, it's like every time somebody dies that's great, like Gilbert Gottfried or Bob Saget, who are my friends, yeah. I always say, but the Sklar Brothers still survive! Like, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny, and whatever. But yeah, I hated them because I definitely blamed them, because I took them under my wing, kind of bought them on stage, introduced them to people, and then... They kind of stabbed me in the back. They didn't take... It was MTV that did it. Meanwhile, Zach Galifianakis was also on that show. And fortunately, he hated them too. So we bonded over that. And we're still uh, good friends. Because um, he hated doing that show. But what you're describing, is this particular to your life or the industry and the pursuit? Or do you feel that there's something unique about the way your life has unfolded? Do you know what I mean by that? No. Like, is it a hectic... Pursuit comedy is it? Is oh, it comedy just, in general or me? That's what I'm asking. Is like this this uh, it might just be the industry, right? Where there's like always these opportunities they fall that through. Yeah, my story isn't different than anyone else's. It's just it's un, it's either fortunate or unfortunate. And we, my sister, my mother, and I, and all my friends that aren't in comedy make fun of it all the time. That all of my friends are successful. <laughs> you know, like every single one I started with is like uber successful, you know, like crazy. Like you couldn't even imagine. So do you feel cursed? No, no, no. I so Maybe I used to. Yeah. But no, I never felt cursed. I just, I didn't even think it was bad luck. I guess I just thought, I don't know what I thought. 
I mean, do you look at them with envy? Do you even want um, what they... No, no. Right? I never did because I know how hard they work to get there. And they... That's the thing. They wanted to be comics. And, and, and that's the... Re you asked me why I still do it. Stand-up yeah. comedy brings other things. It's a fact it always has and it still does. And I always was using stand-up comedy as a stepping stone for something else. And it still brings that. Right. Like... You know, sometimes when one of my friends will see me perform, they'll remember I exist and then put me in something else. So those guys got all these amazing things, television shows, movies and stuff, because they were good stand-ups and, and, and people are seeing them all the time. But they worked hard. They went every night, whereas I would go to a Jets game or go <laughs> to the theater and they would be like, you know, I can't do that at night. I perform every night and they sacrificed those things right. to get where they are so I was never uh, was I jealous absolutely but some the com they were jealous of me during COVID because I was the only comic working you right. should have seen Atel would call me up I was like I just want you to know I'm very jealous you know and I'm like you're kidding <laughs> With right the cars the Jim Gaffigan <laughs> exactly no you know what's interesting to me is a lot of people it sounds like they start off as comics and then they end up on SNL or they have movies uh, but they just actually want to be comics. They hate doing all that other shit, but they make a ton of money by making the movie, the TV show. It depends who it is. Yeah, Steve yeah. Martin never wanted to be a comic. He, right. His plan was what he did. Uh, Dave Attell only wants to be a comic. He's been asked to do a hundred things. He was asked by, you know, Ray, we, you know, Ray Romano very yeah, yeah. early on. Um, I totally helped his career because I used to help him with uh, these mics. My friend used to run a mic and I used to tell, you got to use this guy. And um, and so he asked him to be a, a writer on the show because he wanted Dave Attell. And he just can't do it. He can't sit. St he just wants to do comedy. He just wants stand-up. Right. But so then, you're in this position where stand-up is in the service of potentially getting other work. That's the way I've always looked at it. Yeah. I believe my friends know that as well. They always know I wanted something else, that stand-up wasn't for me. But staying in it provides enjoyment it provides a social activity yeah. um at this point and it definitely can bring you to another level i mean of some sort i mean you know i just i mean as recently just got, getting that tbs thing was because i was doing something with sarah she i mean we're best friends and we hang out all the time but i think sometimes she forgets that i do stand up or that i do anything she just forgets because i'm not a professional so then when she sees me, you know, she'll, I'll get something. Or it, it happens a lot. Uh, you know, if I open for somebody, then I get another job. Right. So it, it or I get to do a podcast like this, you know? I mean, I, yeah. I think that's really cool, and I like that. So, yeah, it's always been, for me, it's always been something else, working out something else, you know? But I do like meeting people, and I like the other stand-ups sometimes. Uh, obviously, there's a bunch of jerk-offs, too. But most of the time, it's... I enjoy hanging out with stand-ups. You know, we, it used to be fun going to a diner after the show. They're not open anymore yeah, late at night. Up. Yeah, it's really bad. No and 20, that was the there's best. only one 24-hour diner I know of in Jersey at this point, around here. Which one? It's fucked Please up. Tell me. It's called Chit Chat. Where's it located? <sighs> I need to know. Because <laughs> the TikTok diner used to be I know. the one. I used to go there a lot. So after we do a show outside, whoever I'm with, that we'd stop at a every time. And, and now you can't do that. I went there at 10 the p.m. one night, and they were like, the kitchen's closed. I, me too, in Jersey, down the shore. Couldn't like, what believe the it. hell are you talking about? It's, it's, it's a real travesty. It's, it's a, all it's we a had. Horrible, 
That's all yeah. we had, really. And that was the best part about doing a gig that you could drive to is that you would stop at the diner and talk about the night. Maybe even see some of the people from the show at the diner. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And that was the fun, and they've taken all the fun out of. Now it's just a job. And the, the fun part, like having something to eat after and talk. I mean, that's what comedy was all about. We At the improv, when the improv used to be open on 44th and 9th, we'd all go to the Westway Diner and hang out. And again, you know, I was just with these guys that were... Uh, better than me and funnier and they were cool I'm an excellent audience I think that's the other reason you laugh I laugh uh, uncontrollably I mean these guys but they're the best right they make me laugh hard because they're really funny so a lot of times when I meet somebody normal and they think they're funny I'm like dude you're you're it's just it's awful what are you doing I'm you know I'm spoiled but I still laugh at people that aren't professional professional because I do find I find lots of stuff funny I'm a, I'm a good audience. I, I think that's the thing, you know? I don't know. When you were young, like, you know, 15, you wanted to be... Oh, that's, I talk about this all the time. I was the guy in high school that was going to make guy? it. The guy? I was the guy that was going to make it. Make what? Make it. It. I was going to make it. I, I was the guy. In oh, this guy's gonna, Everybody's oh, this guy's going to make it. Because you were big. studious? He's going to be big. And such? No, 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 no. Because I was... Uh, in the plays oh. and all that kind of stuff so oh I was all, the guy oh forget it you've always been into that oh yes I was the, like oh this guy's talented he's gonna make it he's gonna make it and then you know those guys always end up in gay porn yeah 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 so that's what happened no not that well, that's one of the brief pit stops <laughs> but that's I make fun of it all the time cause uh you know well but you did make it in some sense I right? did I did and I've been on TV and stuff but the you know so I guess it's true but, with uh, artists I'm always like if you're drawing and not living on the street that's kind of an accomplishment. If you're drawing I to guess. live. I see. The problem is when you think about high school in general, yeah. people look at that as a different thing. Like, you know, unless you re- you need to really make it. And, if you know, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. So in that sense, I'm a loser. And everyone I know that would go to the high school reunion would be a loser. And unfortunately, you don't have to go to your high school reunions anymore because Facebook and social media, now we know what everybody's up to. You don't need to see. You keep in touch with the people you want to. And that's that. But I uh, went to my... Uh, Ten year was great. Recently? No, that was probably like five years ago or something. Oh, just five. But okay. I loved it. Uh, I, loved I loved my it. five year because I hung out with all the people from elementary school who I still like a lot, and the ten year wasn't as great. I didn't like my graduating class. I liked the people that graduated before me and after me, and my class I didn't like so much. I still have extremely close high school friends, but mostly from different grades. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much friends with everybody I've ever met. <laughs> it's like I'm except really, for those brothers you you previously mentioned. Those two. I, can't even <laughs> I don't know who that is. Oh, you look them up. They're awful. They know. I um. You're friends with almost I stole everyone. Their website you years stole ago. their website. So you're both before anybody when people weren't doing that. I took their website, all their names they could possibly have. They're still mad. I heard to this day. I've given it back, but uh, <laughs> the day you when mean I you sold it back, I just didn't pay for it anymore but um i just let it go and uh it was great because uh the day they found out i found out through somebody else through somebody else they're like some guy go you know it was a dream it was two years in the making i just held on to it and they're like why does dave just go on your website what it was the best <laughs> yeah other people paid me uh, to help pay for it too because they didn't like them either but i'm not allowed to disclose their names interesting yeah <laughs> do know, you find that so. when you're in a serious situation or serious relationship you're supposed to be serious about certain things are you able to be 
No, I have trouble with that. Really, a lot of everything time. is kind of uh, abstracted into a comedic moment. Yeah, it's do you a get like do women complain about that when they're all the time? It's not like I. I mean, I can be serious, but but but. Yeah, everything's like a sitcom to me. Exactly. It's, it's like a detachment, right? It's a problem. I, I've had it with art before where everything's a narrative and it's like... Is yeah, it, right. You see things differently. Yeah, is narrative interesting enough for me right now? You know, you, you start seeking out almost trouble because it's a better story. That's that kind of a exactly weird... exactly what I do. Yeah. And I pretend I'm in a sitcom that people are filming me right now and I'll say things in a way I would never do in a normal circumstance, like you say, kind of just to see what happens you're right i mean i guess it's like knowing math and you see numbers or you see colors yeah i i just see i can see this happening around me in a in a sitcom. scenarios kind of. it, that well i don't know what i could tell but that girl that was here that i was complaining about uh sure you know, that girl uh one day she was going crazy and, and crying uh about how pretty she was uh and i was sitting at her house she has a studio, so I was sitting on her bed, listening to her go, you, I can't help it that I'm so beautiful. What do you want me to do? I was born this way. And I remember watching her, I'm like, this is fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, she was really crying. I mean, what a ridiculous thing, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like, right, but I'm like, I am watching theater right now, right in front of my face, and nobody will ever be able to, I wish I could pull out my phone and, and do this, because she's doing almost a monologue. It was just like right out of a movie. You don't understand what it's like. I've always been pretty. You know what a burden that is sometimes? And I'm like, oh, you know, like, I didn't say anything. I just stood there. Yeah, you're just off. thinking about this. So that was one of those definite days. And then she, you know, flips on a dime. You know, I mean, she's really theatrical and she's like, but you don't think I'm racist, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, when you see stuff like that, I'm, I'm all in. You know, like I, I love it. Well, yeah, I'm not even kidding in a sense. Your life sounds almost like a TV show. There's like these oh. kind of shorter moments these snippets that is what the podcast that is what my podcast is i yeah. talk about my week and i and it is everything is many times not every week but so many times everything's like a sitcom i mean this girl kicked me in the balls and punched me in the face you know and i'm like that's hilarious you know and then she ran away <laughs> you know, like i mean so do you think either consciously or subconsciously you're setting that up sometimes? Oh, definitely. I shouldn't have been hanging out with her in the first place. Well, yeah, she yeah, was I mean, crazy. It was my I've fault. Never talked to anyone who said... She was so pretty. I, 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 you know, we knew it was heading somewhere crazy. You know, it's okay. I've definitely put myself in those... Many times on the podcast, I'll say, look, I only did this for you guys. You know, for I the story. I needed to go out tonight to do this for the story. Yeah. Many times. My whole life. Um, in my college yearbook, I had a black guy sit for me in my picture because I said years from now this will be funny now right now it might not be as funny as it was <laughs> 10 I mean, years it's, ago it's pretty funny but the guy said I mean yeah, we set like it up I knew the guy you didn't but force it says him. under Dave Jeskow it's a picture it turns out he's, he's Spanish actually but he looks black his name was Hector and he just you know sat in for the picture for me and it's a it was a classic for years because I knew years from now this will be so funny and so your life is kind of predicated on the, finding the best Joke. I will the wait best. years for that gag, like I did with those guys with the um, yeah. the website. I will wait for the gag to happen. So, like, at the end of the day, when you die, the way you'll measure your life is how funny it was, I assume. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah. it's, it's been funny, right? Well, that's the problem. I realize that when I die, no, nobody's going to cry. They're gonna be, Here's another 
thing this idiot did. You know, like, it's going to be like but that. that. Could, that's kind of cool too. And no, it, it it is cool. It'll be it'll be a, a it should be a fun funeral because I never I have never had a bad time at a funeral. Oh, I don't there. get upset by that stuff. Any any ever never been to a bad one. It's I have a great time. I love seeing everybody. It's always fun. What about the DMV? Because I have a good time at the DMV personally. Um. No, I've had a bad time, but I did have a good time uh, at the, the, the where they tow your car, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. a bad time for everybody in the city. This lady liked me, and she was just really kind. She gave me her cell phone number. I called her once. She's like, I'm in the shower. I'll be right down. She didn't charge me every day. So I do have experiences that are good. Oh, and now that you mentioned it, the DMV, I had, well, I'll tell you that story another time because <laughs> I ended up going to jail. So that wasn't a good one. Oh, that's interesting. Time, yeah. Right. So there's another one, right? I mean, it's a, it's what do you, what do you take seriously? Anything? I are you, take something can seriously. you be offended? Well, I can don't you... like when, uh, when I'm running out of money, you take I don't that, like yeah. that I'm, poor sometimes yeah you don't just laugh that off no well i mean there is something funny about like i i really thought i was i almost got kicked out of my apartment at, you know COVID and stuff and i owed a lot of money and there is something hilarious about it but but in the end it wasn't there were many times during COVID i would wake up and go to the kitchen and be like to myself what i'd say it out loud but we're not going to make it, are we? I mean, I don't know who I was talking to. I'm like, we're not going to make There's it. There's no pets. No. Gonna, no, I had a pet, so I always think she's there. Her name was Elaine. I wrote a book about her, but I haven't told anybody about it yet. It's a great book. It's about me and my cat solving crimes. Um, it's it's really good. I just haven't published it yet. Wow. I did it because... How long is that? How long is the book? Yeah. Uh, I think it's like 160 pages, maybe. That's what, it yeah. goes really That's quick. That's what I'm you interested in. Your output is um, very... In some ways, regular, but in different mediums. Yeah, but I, the, I try the, different things the kind all the time. Of tempo seems even. But this book, when, if it gets published, will be this will be the greatest thing I've ever done. This will make a fortune. I know it. Why don't you just put it out by myself? Yeah, I was hoping to go the proper channels. You know, I can, but but everybody self publishes, and it's embarrassing. I thought it'd be good if Fair I could enough. get a publisher. Fair enough. It's a really good book, and everybody likes it. Uh, even the people that don't like it like it. Like I write for. AARP magazine sometimes because I used to write for Maxim magazine. You know, I forgot about this now. I used to, <laughs> <laughs> I used to write for Maxim magazine. It was the best. You know, right. back in the day yeah. when Maxim was Playboy. You know, yeah. I don't know if you know. You're too young. No, I do. I Maxim used to yeah. be the new Playboy magazine. So yeah. writing for that was the greatest. My assignments were go to Washington D.C. to find D.C.'s ten hottest au pairs, and I would interview hot girls. And they sent me to Tijuana for stories and stuff. It was fantastic. And, you know, all on a, you know, they'd pay for everything. It was, yeah, it's crazy. It was the greatest. I forgot about that. I was a reporter for a while. And now all those guys work at AARP magazine because <laughs> they're older. That's and they're crazy. Like, okay, now do an article is that a good magazine? about arthritis. Um, yes, it is actually. They have an online presence called The Arrow, which is actually quite good. Hmm. And not totally for old people. Would have never thought that. Yeah, I know. It's funny. So my friend writes for that magazine, and I gave him the book, and he goes, I hate your book. I hate it, but I couldn't put it down, and I hate you even more now. Interesting. So, right. So that's a good... That's Something a about... It's a cat, right? Yeah. Something about cats. Amazing. I love, cats. I love my cat, so I immortalized her. She's a black cat, and Did I loved the, her. It was the only thing I ever loved. That's the only time I got upset when somebody died. Yeah. I don't think I'll that's ever sincere. get upset. It was so sincere. It was a mess. 
was the only thing I ever loved. I never thought I'd like an animal. I never had one growing up. This cat just kind of came to me and I, I loved it. And I never got another one because I couldn't stand leaving. I was like so attached. You know, I hated being in a hotel room knowing she was alone. Is that weird? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, know. I know people you know, love their pets, so I know people It depends get it, on, but. yeah, your general worldview. You know, I, I think... Uh, well, I think that was the thing. I didn't feel... I don't know. That was the only thing I ever loved. Truly. Truly. I realize that now. When I think about any of the girls that I might have said I love, um, now it's just this cat. You weren't lying. It's just... I might have been lying. You think you might have been Maybe lying? Maybe I thought that's what I was supposed to say. Well, again, if it's a script, if it's a sitcom... Then it's what you're supposed to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. like I said, I asked this girl to marry me in 2020 because she was going through a hard time. I'd known her for a long time, and I really wanted to marry her. I mean, I really liked her a lot. I might have even been in love with her. Um, and I was trying to help her because she was going through some drinking problems. And so I said, so why don't we get married? You know, I texted. You let's texted get married Because she wanted to live with me and get, you know, I said, well, let's get married. I, I didn't hear back. Then she died like a month later. She got drunk and hit her head and you know went to bed which was right which is what bob saget did right you were telling me yeah and uh i should wake up now most people would find that tragic but it's hilarious i mean i don't know why it's like her parents call me once a week as if i was their son-in-law or whatever and so right so that's not funny but there is something <laughs> funny about it there's something funny and that's my life i finally asked a girl to marry me for the first time you and had she shot, died yeah. a month later how is that not funny yeah, it's... And, and here's the best part. I go over her parents' house, I guess a couple months after she was dead. I couldn't see her because it was COVID and everything. So I go over to their house. Maybe she died in October. I went there in June. And they're big drinkers, too. And we were drinking. And then they're like, oh, let's order some Chinese food. So I'm sitting. They're sitting on either side of me, and I'm sitting in the middle. And <laughs> we're eating the Chinese food. And then they just start yelling at each other. It's your fault she's dead. No, it's your fault. You should have been watching her. No, it's your fault. I'm like, is, is anybody going to eat that egg roll? <laughs> and, I, and I definitely said that because I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? But, I mean, tell me that's not funny. I mean, that's the kind of shit that only happens in sitcoms, but it happens to me all the time. Oh, yeah. No, that's what's so strange about it. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. My life truly is a sitcom. And You're in I, it. There's no reason to be on one. me to do a show like that, but nobody would ever believe it. So that's why I think I don't tell the stories on stage. Nobody would ever believe that the HR director at my last firm tried to kill me at the office Christmas party. People would be like, you got to go to HR. I'm like, you're not understanding it was the <laughs> HR person. I made her so angry somehow. I got her so riled up. She was at the party, she was drunk, and she kept whispering in my ear, I'm gonna fuck you up, you think you're so fucking great, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was, it was really, it was hot, kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's not her attractive. Sense, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I asked her out once, like, or something, but it was stupid, it was like this thing, I'm like, hey, you live on the Upper West Side, right? And she's like, yeah, uh, I'm gonna ride my bike around your house this weekend, you come outside, we'll have a conversation. That's what I said, right? Now that's, I think that's the funniest thing anybody's ever with said. The, with the accent? Yeah, with the accent. Sure. Right? It's like Rocky Balboa. Oh, that or John Travolta, right? It was yeah, like yeah. something stupid. And she told all the other girls at my office, like, he's going to ride his bike. And they're like, what the fuck is the matter with you? First of all, <laughs> I don't even think he has a bike. Yeah, I was going to say, you have a bike? Second of all, he said that to all of us. He's never <laughs> done it once. So it was just another person that just, you know, some people just don't get it. <laughs> You think that's funny? Isn't that a funny thing to say to somebody? Yeah, yeah, of course. All right, that's what I thought. Did your parents have a sense of humor? No. <laughs> My mother's never laughed in, except 
when something bad happens to me. I say, oh, so okay. this girl kicked me in the balls today. <laughs> That's the only time she's ever laughed. Or when somebody makes fun of me. So you were laughs. just like a pain in the ass as a child to them? Because if you're not making someone yeah. laugh and you're a prankster. And a... Yeah, as a matter of fact, here's a good example. Um, my mother doesn't like, you know, using curse words or anything. And my act was completely clean. Yeah. But I came up with these two bits that were uh, dirty. And when I say dirty, stupid dirty. Right. The first, and that changed my whole trajectory of stand-up. I went to this next level with these two bits. The opening, this is so stupid, but it used to kill. The opening was Mr. Magoo. I don't know if you ever heard of yeah, him, yeah. Uh, having anal sex. It was the okay. stupidest fucking thing. Oh, oh, oh. Something like that, right? It was stupid, but it used to kill. And then I'd close with Bill Cosby on the HBO Def Jam comedy show. And the man ate the woman's pussy for an hour. You know, it was just that. And it used to kill. And in between, everything was clean. It was just clean. So one time, my parents came to see me at this place, and I was... It was one of the best sets I've ever had in my life. And my dad, who didn't like me very much, was smacking his hands to the table laughing, especially at the Bill Cosby one. I remember seeing it, and I was like so happy. And everyone was like, the staff is laughing, everybody. It was the greatest night of my life. And my mother's just sitting there with a fucking puss on her face because I'm using bad language this one time. Everything else was totally clean, but this one bit. But you would think she'd be like, well, he really is... Doing, I'm so happy to see my son doing right. well, but what a bitch. I've always <laughs> remembered that face. Because you will always, and any comic will tell you this, point out the one person in the room who's not laughing. I don't know if you know Greg Fitzsimmons, but he hosted, once he hosted the Porn Awards, which all my friends have hosted the Porn Awards once. It's the worst gig on the planet. These guys are so coked up or whatever, they are not paying attention. And so he said everybody was pretty much laughing, except for Dave Navarro. <laughs> sure. He's from the Chili yeah, Peppers, yeah. right? No, he, well, yeah, briefly. Right, right, briefly. So he's not laughing. And that's all he was talking about, like, fucking Dave Navarro wouldn't laugh. And the best is he goes on Howard, I mean, I know Greg, and he told me the story anyway. But he goes on Howard Stern, and he's telling the story. And this motherfucker, I said, I'm going to get him to laugh. But he would not laugh. And it destroyed the whole set, because you always see the one person. Right, you're, just, right. you're laser focused. I don't know why, but then Howard had Dave Navarro, and he said, "Fuck that guy. He wasn't going to make me laugh. I'm going to fuck him up. Like I didn't like that guy. Like he, he did it on purpose. It turns out, which is even funnier." Can but, you describe the feeling of bombing and of oh yeah I succeeding? Got, so I don't know what years the, ago, what's the opposite of bombing, killing. Yeah, so the accurate yeah. terminology. Oh yeah, there's, they I've, still say I that? have done both. Yes. Oh, absolutely. You've bombed, now, some people you've like Tell says David Tell says he bombs all the time. He's an idiot. He he doesn't really know what bombing is. I have bombed. You know, I've gotten booed off stage in Atlantic City recently. Um, I don't know, seven years ago, I got booed off stage. My friend Russ Maneev said there were more boos than in a haunted house. It was uh, that bad, but I got booed off stage. But at this point in my life, it was hilarious. I thought it was really funny. And then when we went out to the casino, I saw a lot of the audience members, and they were like, oh, tough set. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And, but I was laughing. And I'm like, I know, wasn't that funny? Because I, I just didn't care. My friend, I woke up the next morning. I was sharing a hotel room with my friend. And he goes, are you all right? And I'm like, why? Well, that was a rough. I'm like, oh, that happens to me all the time. I don't know why I don't care. But back in the day when, when it was you know, meaningful, I don't know, before... I could pass things off like that. It was devastating. 
Yeah. Devastating. And many times I've done a set where people aren't laughing. It's not bombing, but you're not doing the best. Sure. But it's devastating. It's not like you want to quit, but it's embarrassing. And it's embarrassing in front of your friends. And then there's the euphoria of that one night. You know, I mean, I have a vision in my head or that, that TV show, Yeah. you know, where I have the vision in my head because I guess it doesn't happen to me as often as maybe it happens to other people. But there's multiple times where I've done really well and I can, you know, you're just looking out and it, it is very uplifting. It's exciting. You know, it, and, it, and, and I get that feeling. The what? Could you imagine it being addictive for certain people? Oh, absolutely. Because what a lot of times when I'm seeing my friends, I look around at the audience and I soak it in myself. What what maybe they're experiencing? Yeah. And I'm like, wow, they're making this whole room just laugh so hard. I look around. I look at their faces, and you know, it's exciting. Even when somebody else is doing, it, especially if it's a friend, um, I, I'm fascinated with watching a crowd. You know, somebody destroy like that. I mean, I've I've seen Dave obviously do it, really do it, especially at the Comedy Cellar late at night on a Tuesday morning at one in the morning. And I've seen Jeff Ross do it. And then there's different ways of killing. Like, I've seen Sarah do that well, but, like, she's not that kind of comic yeah. where people are just dying laughing, you know. Then there's there's people that don't do that. But the the people that... But that's okay. You're, You're there for a different reason. She still makes you laugh hard, but... It's not, you know, those kind of guys that I've seen just absolutely destroy. And you're like, wow, this is, I'll never get to this. Yeah. You know, sometimes you tell yourself that or something. I don't know. It's, it's fun. I, you know, sometimes when you go to see a Broadway show, like the Book of Mormon. Have you yeah, seen yeah, that? I've never seen it. So it's great. And it's really funny. I see a lot of Broadway shows. And it's, it's brilliant. But people are laughing, especially at most all the Broadway shows, at like something that's so stupid. And they're laughing hard. Does and, that bother you that yes, they laugh at the stupidest thing? It bothers things? me so much. And every comic I know, if they go to see theater, gets it too. But do they feel... They're laughing so easy. It's so easy. But, so I used to show paint, I used to have a gallery, and I often found the painting I thought was the worst would sell first. Really? Or often when the other ones wouldn't sell and i couldn't figure out why i still don't know why so i wonder if with comedians like does it happen that you think you have this great joke and other comedians love it but then the general public doesn't get it they don't appreciate it and then you tell some stupid cosby joke and people are dying yeah does that make you resent the crowd in some weird way that's a good question i i think it does yeah, because you're like what i think you you get upset by that but then you you know you let it go because you did well anyway but yeah that's there it is, just what I told you, that that stupid Mr. Magoo <laughs> joke that nobody even knows who that is anymore, used to just kill. It was a great way to open. And um, I'm telling you, it just brought me to this next level. It was weird. These two open and a close just made a world of difference. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so strange. Sometimes it's just one thing that, you know, makes a difference. Like my friend Rachel used to, you know, she was always a good comic. Then she got married. Yeah. And she just started talking about her husband being a firefighter. And she went to this kind of next level. You know, just... I mean, she had all this new material, but it was great. Or Gary Goldman, who, uh, you know, went to the... You know, a lot of the comics that I've seen over the years, they, they get this one thing going, this idea or something, and then they go to this next level. 
I mean, I definitely saw that with Sarah, but I don't know what it was that brought her to the next level. She used to just do, she was just a cute little, I mean, she's always been the cute little girl with the potty mouth. Right. But there was something that had to bring her to the next level. I don't remember what it was at the time. Yeah, it's often something very mundane. Yeah. Big, but they've developed stupid. the craft, the skill to then be ready for that mundane yeah, she moment. she used to have this joke I never understood, but people liked, like, um, um, what was it? I, oh, I was depressed, but then uh, I realized I was just thirsty. And people used to laugh, but I never understood the joke. <laughs> but it, by, by understand, you don't mean rashly and just like... I'm like, not, I don't know why people funny. are laughing. Yeah. But Do you believe in this formulaic kind of like... Well, uh, I think the problem is that there are people in the crowd who just somehow identified with that exact joke. That where idea, They yeah. might have been depressed and gotten a drink of water and then they felt better. So there, maybe there were seven people in the crowd who actually went through that, not me. Right. So I didn't understand. But that's the thing. You know, you, you, you're trying to hit the, the entire crowd, but sometimes you only hit a couple. Yeah, yeah. And the crowds are different every time. I every imagine. time. So, you know, I always open with that stupid joke about, uh, you know, weed being legal. And I always talk about, did Biff Tannen go into the future? And I like that the joke, past? but yeah, you got to be a certain age to know who Biff Tannen Maybe is. Maybe two people get it every time, but it makes me so happy every time if somebody does so get it. So you need that, that movie reference. But that's the thing. Back to the Future is so, I mean... I've always talked about stuff that's 20 or 30 years before. It's been my problem. But yeah, it's you're back not to you're the not future. in the moment. You're not interested in the particularities of the moment. No. You I, like the past? Yeah, I that's all when when I first started in the 80s I was talking about like people from the 60s. Well, that's why <laughs> you yeah, the time traveling uh that's class. It's a thing. You're absolutely right. I mean, I used to have this joke that used to kill that and Bob's my and John Stewart to this day makes fun of it and they'll say are you still doing the uh, Ernie Douglas uh, I'm like shut up because he knows I'm not and he's just giving me shit and I'm like you, you know you've already won is this necessary to give me shit you know like last year you know I used to do this character from this TV show from My Three Sons which is a show from the 60s and it used to kill like in high school it was you can't explain it to anybody who has never seen the show. You can't explain it to somebody that used to see the show. <laughs> it was just one of those phenomenons. In yeah, high yeah. school, they, I did it in the play Grease. They made me say it because it was so popular. It was like a Simpsons episode where the, the Bart goes, I, I didn't do it. <laughs> and everybody's laughing. You don't know why. And it was just this bit. And I would say, well, gee, I, I didn't think you'd be so sore. I, I couldn't follow it. I had to get off stage and then nobody could follow it. And you don't know why. And I couldn't explain it. I don't know if I have it on tape. And even if I did, people would probably think the tape was doctored. <laughs> yeah, that's surreal. I know. It's so crazy. So, But that was from 30 years before when I was doing it. So I've never, I've never updated my material. Can you remember the first moment getting validation from a joke? I remember the first time I went on stage, I guess. Just no, but even those. before as like a young... Oh, like did well, was yeah. your identity about making people laugh? Yeah, I guess so. Because definitely, um, yeah, I guess I was definitely known as funny. Yeah, I could go back in junior high. Yeah, I was. Yeah, oh, because I could tell you in junior high, and even before that too. But definitely junior high, there was this Mel Brooks movie called High Anxiety, and he sang a song in it. And I used to sing that song in the class, and I would go around with a, a microphone and sing the song. And I had everybody trained, so they would do the other lines. I'm like, so where are you from? And they're like, uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, love that big red machine. And I would sing the song before the teacher came in. And everybody loved it, you know, and it was funny. 
But again, this is more like a theatrical production. Exactly. Yeah. That's all I ever wanted so that's to do. Your thing. Sing and dance and do happenings. You know. Yeah, happenings is a good. Yeah, stand up was never the plan, but I was funny. So how do you, where do you put funny? It made sense. People would always say, "You got to do stand up. You got to do stand up." Does but something like curb your enthusiasm interest you? That kind of. Oh my God! Yeah, absolutely. That well, that's me. That is. Remember, people think it is me because. I am. I'll, I will, like Seinfeld and Larry David, talk about. Uh, like I go to this restaurant called the Isle of Capri, where they have the best chicken parm in the city. But for some reason, every time I go there, they won't give me Parmesan cheese, and I have a problem with this one waiter. <laughs> and he's like, "You have enough cheese." I'm like, "But I want the Parmesan that you put on the table. You're giving it to everybody else." And I was like, I don't know why this guy won't give it. So that's all I ever talk about all the time. That this guy. I even took a picture. They have the Parmesan cheese at the hostess table. But the guy won't let me... I don't know whether he's doing it to me or whether he's just so insulted that I'm going to put Parmesan on the chicken parm. It's the weirdest thing, but, I, but I'm but i obsessed with it and I love talking about it for, for hours. <laughs> you know? So in between the two formats of Seinfeld or Curb, if you had to do it's a, a show... Mix. Oh, for me... What would you? What do you prefer? Larry David, I'm closer to because I, you know, everybody says nobody knows your rules, just Gal, which they say okay. nobody knows your rules, Larry. So that kind of. Uh, I have rules. I have ways about con people conducting themselves or whatever. I'm like, when you come to my house, you do this or you do that. You know, you conduct yourself as a person. Whatever, whatever it is, I definitely have rules that I've set for other people, but they don't know about them. Interesting. So yeah. that, and that's definitely Larry David, and I. I do so many Larry David-like things. I think everybody thinks they do, but people just tell me that's what I do. I'm trying to not be that person sometimes, but it's difficult to get out of. Well, you're 58. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, he's a little older than me. So, but yeah, you, know, you get stuck in that way. You get stuck in it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, but I love talking about those little, those little things. You know, I would be like, yeah, you see the way that guy was looking at me. I mean, that was messed up, right? You saw that too, right? I mean, I'll definitely do that. And, you know, and I love when somebody will get on board, like, that was messed up. You know, like, yeah, some, yeah. that's why I like, like Larry or, or when, they, when they go on to it, they're like, you know, when they agree, right, that's right, the right. best. They riff on people, it. Yeah, and people play along. You know, typically I wrap it up with a joke, but we got to invert it somehow. Because you already told jokes. Well, I didn't really tell any jokes. I just tell stories. That's the problem. I don't have any punchlines. See, if I had punchlines, I'd be a really successful comic. Yeah, that's just not... Like, if I remember, again, the Steve Martin bio, he's talking about how he just doesn't want punchlines. That's not what he's seeking. He's seeking... I would like to seek punchlines. I don't mind telling you. That would be fantastic. He would like to. I would like that very much. Okay. If I recall, his thing was like, I want it to feel like inside jokes amongst friends, but yeah. in a bigger scale. Which is what he did. Yeah, and I watch the, the clips now, and I'm like, this isn't funny at all. It doesn't make sense. That's, so that's what I was doing you had by to. accident, because I don't have any punchlines, except, you know, maybe for that TV show, I remember Attell gave me a couple of punchlines. He gave them to you. Yeah, because, well, he would always help. Gifted. Yeah. Well, he's a, he's a genius. I mean, he's a true comic genius. And I think when all is said and done, if people didn't consider, if you throw out George Carlin and, yeah. and Richard Pryor because they came first... I think people would agree that David Tell is the greatest comic. Interesting, yeah. You know, Chappelle would say that, Chris Rock would say that they all know he's the best, but he's still just a comics comic. He'll still never be at that level. Because when he's on TV, it doesn't translate. They so let's, let's invert the joke. Can you come up with serious life advice? 
Well, if you're being serious or do you want me to tell a joke, I mean, <laughs> the, the series, and I told this to the, the kids I was teaching on the last day of school. Yeah. The best advice for life is, and everybody says this, but if you want to, what I was telling those kids, if you want to be a writer, you, you got to live and you got to go out when somebody says, hey, do you want to do this? And you don't want to do it. You need to do it so you can experience this. The problem with television is that most of the writers don't experience anything. They don't experience half the stuff you have or I have because they're just in Hollywood and they're just doing nothing. They don't, they don't have the, the kind of life that I do where the HR director is trying to kill you at an office Christmas. They're not going to have those stories. Right. Yeah. They, they, they probably went to Harvard and then they started writing for television. So maybe they might have a couple of fraternity stories. But you know what I'm saying? I don't think they have no, I agree. life lived stories. And I'm not saying to be like Hemingway and go out and go to yeah. war or something. But you, you got to put yourself in a situation. Tr try not to make it dangerous. Although. It's kind of part of it. You know, I always talk about why it. do I care about a 30-year-old painter making paintings in the past? You look at the timeline in the back of the book person had pneumonia from 15 to 20 went to world war one lost an arm or something married had four kids then they made a painting maybe right. they made 25 paintings and they all worked and had something in them but now there's just this kind of urgency to be a career and that yeah i don't know why we even pretend to care about the opinions of 20 to 30 year olds looking back on my own you know, opinions. Well, it might be different now with all the stuff they've experienced. I've been talking about anybody born in like 1997 or something. I mean, look what they've gone through. At just September 11th and, and a worldwide pandemic, school shootings, weather patterns nobody's ever seen before. But don't you feel that in those, those things aren't... But I still hate experienced. them. Experienced. <laughs> like... Right, right. No, they're not personal experiences. No, they're right, less but, real than your relationship with your cat. But it's like... <laughs> I mean, because if that was a global pandemic, right? If that was... Like, even like saying it now, I feel it's paper thin. Like, I know that bad things happen, people died. But did that really feel like a global pandemic? Well, the other thing is... Maybe all these things have happened before, but now with social media, we know about them more. Oh, you wouldn't... I would have had no idea. I got it. I would have thought I had a bad flu. Nothing. You know? All this wouldn't... Have, there wouldn't have been any shutdowns if this happened in the 80s. You wouldn't know. Nobody could yeah. have worked from home. You might not have even found out it was happening. Yeah, people would have been sick. People would have been sick, and you wouldn't have understood why, and they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been able to close anything down. Yeah. So that's the weird part, too. I mean, what do you... You know, just because we were able to, we did, but... You know, we that wouldn't have happened in 1988, right? And even 9/11, it's just like it changed things. But I didn't. Ex I mean, did I experience it? Even being from New Jersey, well, I guess we could the kind. Of, I'm saying in the kind of world they live in, which is just. I think about that because you know it used to be where like oh, goddamn kids don't respect nothing, but now you feel a little bad for those kids, like which is different you should in some sense. Day. I think you yeah. know they didn't get to graduate or go to the prom. Some some of them, you know, with COVID and stuff. So. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, that's it's true. I think about that, but you're right. They but they still need the life experiences. So I think that's good advice for artists, like. Well, these are writers. They're going to be writers, you know. So yeah, that's good. It's good advice for art, any kind of artist, of course. Because even if you're podcasting, you know, what oh, yeah, are you talking life. about? Yeah. I've been on people's podcasts where they're just, I'm like, what are, they're, and they're just, they don't prepare, or they don't, they don't have anything to say. You're talking about this? No, not at all. No, <laughs> no I love this. This is exactly what it is. Yeah, you it's set just, it up like this. This is beautiful. And I, yeah. I felt bad for talking so much and so quickly. And no, no, it's about you. I hope it's okay because I feel like I'm not in the moment of how kind of chill this podcast no, is, no, which no. I like. No, 
It's all good. It's I, certainly not what I expected, but I love it. I like it better. Thank you. Well, yeah, I've had I a really good a, time. Yeah, yeah. It's a great, great note to end it on. Yeah. And let's, but let's quickly remind people of all the various things they should check out, especially the Billy Joel podcast. Right. Well, I got the Billy Joel A to Z podcast. Right now, we're on the W's. We're just a, we didn't start the fire. I don't know when this comes out, uh, but you can see our back catalog. Then mm-hmm. I have this podcast called Just Guy in the City, which I changed. It used to be called The Nightfly, but what I realized is that all these people were listening. Over, over around the world, especially in the United States, not in New York City, and they were fascinated by my New York City experiences <laughs> that a lot of people don't have. Um, so I called it Just Guy on the City, and so, you know, it's fun, and I just talk about my life, which sometimes turns out to be very interesting and weird, so. and it's yeah. not like other people. So, and then um, I do the Comedy Cellar nightly show on Tuesdays live on YouTube at six o'clock. Is that live from the? So, uh, so uh, sometimes it's live from the cellar. Sometimes it's virtual from gotcha. my house. Gotcha. It depends on the producer if he's in Texas or New York. He somehow goes back and forth. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. What else? Um, the cat book. You got to find a publisher. Well, I know I got to find a publisher. It's really great. It's called Selena in the Case of the Noble Bachelor. Uh, Can I read it? I could give you a copy when I see you. I'll be here a in two weeks. A physical copy? Yeah, I, I made hard copies. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I would love for you to read it. It's a really easy read. What else? What's a good is there a recording of a stand-up set that people should check out? Is there a show yeah. that you wrote for that you find a particular joke or moment to be well, relevant? Well, I'm on that sh- I don't like to talk about it because I look horrible in it, but I'm on that show Crashing on HBO. Don't know it. Crashing. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't like to talk about it because I come out in a towel and I don't look very attractive. And on the DVD extras, they make fun of my boobs. So um, I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> but it, it's funny. Every time I've been on a show... I'm always part of the DVD extras, <laughs> which I guess is that's good. A, that's a concise explanation of your life in some way. It's, it's true. It's I, I'm just a guest star of the show, but I guess I make an <laughs> impact. And so I remember when I was on, uh, well, the Sarah Silverman program, they did the DVDs, and I was playing the most obnoxious person ever. And they were interviewing the director and the producer and Sarah, and they're like, oh, there were no auditions. We knew exactly who to call. <laughs> and uh, you know, and then they and then they cut to me just doing stupid stuff, and then they have Sarah, and they're like, "Oh, um, the, we were watching him work and we're watching the TV screen. And some girl came over my shoulder, like, you know, I know a guy like this, and they're like, yeah, you're looking at him right here. This is him. He's an idiot. You know, so, uh, but yeah, you can you could, I guess, see all those. You can see my Cars movie if you want. Yeah, that's very interesting. on Amazon. We should you screen make it. Make sure you're high. <laughs> oh, we should totally screen it yeah, here. Yeah, be cool. We should totally do that. Yeah, why not? Yeah. It's really, you got to be high. Everybody's got to be high. It's legal now, so it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. You yeah gotta I'm fascinated by that s- idea. Serve drinks and, and get high. That's a great idea. It's a fun movie to screen. It's ridiculous. And uh, otherwise, yeah, I guess if you Google The name me, of it again? Turbocharge. Turbocharge. Yeah. Is that a name of a car song? No, we just. I don't, it's a car. Um, it's a car reference. Yeah, I think I just made it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know the cars don't care for the movie. And at the end, we had them all become like comedians or something. Like uh, with the that the reason why the kid's brother left is because we had his brother become a bad stand-up comic at the end. You oh. know, like a where are they now thing. And yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. Not you just true. made it up. We made it up. Yeah, the guy didn't seem to get it. But right. it's based on truth. Anyway, yes. Sorry, <laughs> Michael. I had a really great time. Same. Good talking. All right, so thank you. Thank you.
Should I take what are you off? doing today? Yeah, yeah. What are you doing for the rest of the night? Well, I might be going to the Cure concert at the Garden. Oh, yeah? Yeah, my friend was going to think about it and um, see if we got tickets. Otherwise, uh, I don't have any awesome. plans. Still uh, doing they it. just opened it here. Wild One. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Mingja Chen. Next up, we have Matthew Forsyth. Enjoy your week. Let's go.